0: Alrighty everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another enthralling episode of Monday Madness on September the 12th, 2022. While I'm in Bakersfield, I'm staying with my mentor and good friend, Marty. Yesterday, we started to put up decorations for Halloween. Some may say it's too early, but I am definitely on board. I'm not the type of guy to decorate for Christmas until maybe a couple weeks after Thanksgiving, but the earlier you can get going on Halloween, the better. Is there a more fun holiday? I don't think so. The bar crawls, the parties, the costumes, the movies, it's all great. The hardest part is coming up with your own costume. I'm trying to put together Alex from The Clockwork Orange, but I'm still a few items short. If anyone knows where I can get a big old cod piece from, please let me know. But you didn't come here to listen to me beg for suggestive costume accessories for a holiday more than a month out. You came here to get the most interesting stories and industry data from the present. So let's dive in. We'll first take a look at the recently underwhelming commodity prices. After dramatic-looking sell-off, it seems they are back on the up-and-up. After falling below $82 last week, WTI began pushing back towards $85 and even past it. This morning it climbed to $88, where it remains, but only just barely. It seems as if we are looking to level out around the area of $87.50, so keep an eye out for any funny business as the week progresses. Brent is performing exactly the same, but with a $6 to $7 premium at any given point. It's a pretty large spread, so I hope that gap narrows by a dollar or two by pulling up WTI, though it's more likely that they will meet somewhere in the middle. Natural Gas spent the start of this month at around 9 a quarter, but ended up following. Last week was pretty underwhelming as it held in the $8 range, but even spent some time in the high sevens. I'm quite surprised that this isn't higher especially considering just how many places across the U.S. were hotter than they've been all year long. You would expect that to support the demand for use in power generation and air conditioning and cooling, we'd been consuming more gas, but it seems to not have pushed the needle that far. Regardless, this is a pretty healthy point for it to be, so I wouldn't be surprised if it stabilized somewhere between 8 and eight and a quarter, maybe even 8.5. Next up is the rig count. Last week's decrease was one of the worst we've seen in years. Will the trend continue kind of while the rig count isn't downright awful we did decrease by one bringing us to a total of 759 which is 256 more rigs than we had this time last year that is the important part to focus on yes we may be seeing a few decreases here and there but we're ultimately much better off than we were a year ago basin by basin the mississippian was the only to see growth with one new rig which actually doubles its total The Permian was the only basin to lose any rigs, as it fell from 342 to 340. Otherwise, it's crickets. State by state, we observe a decent deal of change. Alaska, New Mexico, Utah, and Kansas gained a rig. This is now Kansas's only rig, so I'm curious to see if it's for testing purposes, or if we're seeing some novel new exploration. Louisiana and Oklahoma are down one rig each, and Texas is down three. Texas is still up big on the year, but they've been consistently putting rigs down. Of the net rig change, we are seeing a shift of focus from oil to gas, with all of the new ones being directional rather than horizontal or vertical. The Gulf of Mexico is down one rig to 13, which ain't too bad considering that they only had four rigs this time last year. And finally, we round off those statistics with the inventory report being written by our intern, Nick Fernhout. I'm thinking he's given me a run for my money content-wise. They're informative and maybe even, dare I say, more fun to read. But we will let you be the judge. You can find the latest edition on our website at www.rarepetro.com, and they get published every Thursday. If you missed last week's, here's what Nick had to say. We're read this report, and in more ways than one. Both the EIA and API reported builds. The EIA reported a build of over 8.8 million barrels after they expected the opposite, which was a drawdown of about a quarter million barrels. The build is likely due to the increased imports over the last week, and even more assuredly due to the release of more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Over here at Rare Petro, we were surprised to see such a build. Apparently, so were the folks over at the American Petroleum Institute. The API expected an even larger draw than the EIA at more than... 0.7 0.7 million barrels. Boy, were they off, but who can blame them? The API also reported a build of only 3.645 million barrels. As mentioned earlier, the SPR is responsible for most of the build. As per the Biden administration's instructions, 1 million barrels per day are still being released. That trend will continue as late as early October, after which the SPR will remain stagnant until the beginning of 2023, when the current plan to refill the reserve will be put into action. Yet, a new low has been reached by the SPR, and this is the lowest the reserves have been at since 1984. Now, keep in mind that the reserve began in 1975 and slowly filled over the next three and a half decades until it peaked at about 2010. So, the last time the SPR was this low was when it was initially being filled. Do with that information what you will, but it certainly does come across as at least slightly concerning. As you may have inferred, this build is one of the largest three in the past several months. But again, how much of a build is it really if most of the oil is flowing from the SPR? U.S. gasoline stocks remain below the five-year range, although do follow form by dipping from around May to November. California takes its highest-priced gas in the country crown back from Hawaii this week with the state average of 5,306, with Hawaii just one cent behind. While gas prices in some of the more expensive states have risen in the past week, the general trend is downward. Falling oil prices typically mean falling gas prices, a not-so-surprising phenomenon that experts believe to be behind pump savings. Dislit stocks remain outside the five-year range, whereas propane and propylene stocks follow their five-year range to a T. Dislit stock is usually built up in the months leading to winter when it can be used for heating. So with stock levels lower than usual for this time of year, experts are confident the combination of both winter demand and waning supply will help drive that price up. But that is all we have for the statistics portion of the podcast. I've got a lot on my plate and we'll have to jet here pretty quick to get to everything, but there's one article I'd like to discuss as the news has been pretty quiet for the past few days. This article was shared on LinkedIn by US Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm. I'm sure most of you have already drawn an opinion up based on that name alone, but let's look at the content of the article and some responses from folks on LinkedIn. The article is titled, More People Now Work in Clean Energy Than in Fossil Fuels. According to a report from the IEA, 40 million individuals are working jobs related to clean energy. That is 56% of total energy sector employment in the U.S., marking 2022, the first year in history that clean energy workers outweigh hydrocarbon energy workers. Well, I, I say hydrocarbon, but of course the article does identify that group as fossil fuels. The article mentions that these jobs include those in upstream, so solar panel manufacturing and biofuel crop production, and also those in downstream, which would be wind farm operators and sellers of electric vehicles. The article goes on to focus on gender equality in the next paragraph, rather than focusing on meaningful factors to expand on the presented data. Sure, only 16% of energy jobs are occupied by women, compared to 39% economy-wide, but I want to know more about what jobs were considered clean, or why there is projected growth of 13 million new green energy jobs by 2030. Though I knew Granholm wouldn't provide this data, she instead cherry-picked the uh, nicest looking statistic and posted that with the article link, I decided to sift through some of the comments to see what else I could find. Keep in mind that the oil and gas industry is one of the most active comment sections in LinkedIn, and they usually comment with a strong bias, but despite that, they often bring great points to the table. One commenter who is writing for energy-musings.com said, quote, I did a review of green jobs a few years ago. If a bus or a garbage company had electric vehicles, all the drivers were classified as green workers, since any one driver might drive the electric vehicle. Grossly overstated the number of green workers, end quote. Well, a gross overestimation is something I did expect, and I'm sure the same is not afforded to conventional energy. I highly doubt a delivery driver for Amazon is considered a fossil fuel employee if they drive a van with a combustion engine. Another commenter expanded by sharing his findings from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They said, quote, two points. One, The energy sector has always been very automated and productive, especially electric power production. It only takes about 25 full-time employees to operate and maintain a 600 megawatt combined cycle gas turbine plant, about a 100 sized team for a similarly sized coal plant, for oil and gas production similar small numbers of technicians for enormous energy production. Yet, it takes a small army of installers to place solar panels on frames to create intermittent generation of 600 megawatts. Two, Granholm uses 40 million employees worldwide. In the US, that number is less than 600,000. See the Bureau of Labor Statistics website, Total Energy Employees. So, let's keep things in perspective. Last year, solar and wind together provided less than 5% of America's total primary energy. End quote. Again, these statistics are very clearly unfair. Lastly, one of our favorite content producers and commentators, Doug Sheridan, left a comment of his own. Quote, imagine a future in which every single energy worker is needed to deliver the same amount of energy that a small fraction of total workers is available to deliver today. Would that really represent progress? End quote. Short, sweet, and hits the nail on the head. We are supporting inefficiencies in the energy space Not only in the sense of raw energy output, but economics as well. This large workforce makes a small fraction of the energy already provided by conventional energy workers, which leaves a massive opportunity for low pay for those clean energy workers and bad economics for the rate payers. Folks, Rare Petro is big on looking at things for what they are and knowing what something is and what it isn't. We love to boil it down to the raw data so that you are able to draw your own conclusions. If you also enjoy thinking for yourself, frack that follow button so you can stay up to date and receive all of the statistics and data that we are able to put out there. This has been Tabis Killian with Rare Petro. Till we see you next time, take care everybody.